It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. The idea of submitting to authority has really taken it on the chin in our modern day. And many of us as Christians have become lax in our remembrance of this key operation of grace in our individual spiritual lives and in the church at large. Hey, this is Eric. Before we dive into today's message, which will take on this issue of authority and submitting to it head on, I wanted to mention that we still have room in our upcoming one-week training, which is set to start on November 7th. If you are interested in possibly joining in on this grand week-long adventure, please visit ellersley.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's visit the relationship between Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt in the late summer months of 1944. These two have always been best of friends and been in strong agreement. Until now. I hope you are blessed in witnessing how Winston Churchill dexterously navigates through this strong difference of opinions and submits to Roosevelt in order to maintain the peace, the unity, and the strength of the Allied operations against Hitler. Part 74. You know, I always think of milestones. Uh, you know, this is like episode 458, 458 in our Daily Thunder series, and that doesn't sound like a very important uh, date, but like 500 is just around the corner. Don't, don't you wonder who's going to get assigned 500? Uh, Nathan, we should like figure out uh, what, when that's going to come and create a party for it. That's a big day. But then 74, like the next one in this series is 75, and that has to be significant. But uh, Always, uh, you know, 74, I, I need to make it significant because that's the one today. And so I'm going to be excited about this one. Number 74, it's called The Submission of Winston. Uh, one of you mentioned the other day that I haven't uh, brought it up for a while that my middle name is Winston. Uh, so I figure you know, I might as well stick it in the title. That will guarantee that I bring it up. But uh, it's interesting because I feel like this message is for me. In a strange way, it's like there's, a, there's a, a piece of this that is important to always be cultivated in a leader, but also in all of us. I do think this is a gift to the body of Christ. There is a certain dimension of World War II which is hard for me, uh, as I've studied it, especially from Winston Churchill's perspective. Winston Churchill would never really divulge what I'm going to say today. However, it's obvious in watching the flow of World War II, and from those that knew him in their memoirs, they will mention it. And you have a man who is going to stand alone, basically, against the evils of the world. In uh, May 13th of 1940, he's going to be assigned the prime minister position in Great Britain, possibly the worst spot any person could ever be stuck in. It is a tremendously challenging role. The power of Nazi Germany has exploded in Europe and nothing can stop it. France, uh, the great power of France, the ancient power of France falls like a house of cards and everyone, including the United States, is uh, convinced that Great Britain is going to fall quickly. And this is when Churchill is inheriting the job of leading the nation of Great Britain with no allies. There's no one on his side, not one nation. The United States is in the middle of a Great Depression, and Roosevelt's like, so sorry, Winston, <laughs> but we can't do anything for you. And so this guy's all alone, and it's a little island nation, which has colonies you know, around the world, but it's going to take a long time to whip together a military force and get those colonies across the ocean to come to Great Britain to their aid, to form a 
a war military force takes time. Great Britain is unprepared for this war. And so they're going to send most of their troops over uh, to France to try and help defend France, but France is going to fall. And all of their troops are going to be surrounded in a uh, little port town called Dunkirk, if you've ever heard of that. And this is 70% of the armed forces of Great Britain are surrounded and likely going to die. And this is what, again, Winston Churchill is inheriting. (laughs) It is a terrible, desperate situation, and he is going to rise up. He's going to grow 10 feet taller in this situation, just this sort of squatty, rotund man uh, that he was always a great leader and a great orator, and he always had spoke with his conviction, but he was always sort of the, the guy that they pushed out to the fringe. But he was the one guy in England that stood against Hitler the entire time. When all of England was pacifying him, this was the one guy. And so suddenly the people begin to remember that as Hitler's true colors are showing. And they're like, we want Winston. And so suddenly in the worst, or what is oftentimes called in history, the darkest hour, Winston Churchill is thrust onto the stage of time. And the weight of the world falls upon him. And he rises up under it and leads unlike I've, I mean, if you study history, it's hard to find a parallel other than some of the great biblical ones. I mean, and that's, that's an honest statement. This is an incredible uh, scene in history where Churchill rises up all alone and leads a nation against the greatest evil that has maybe ever been present on this earth up to that point. And incredible story. And over time, you're going to see in, in 1941, Hitler's going to make a grave error and he's going to attack Soviet Russia, which is going to bring Soviet Russia into it. He thought that he could take them out quickly in a couple months. Instead, Soviet Russia is going to grow into a mighty force, which is ultimately going to come back and crush Hitler. Uh, but uh, Stalin is going to then be awakened and want to ally with Churchill. Could you imagine how that must have felt? It's like, great. So we finally get an ally, and it's Joseph Stalin. And then the United States is going to be bombed at the end of 1941. December 7th of 1941, you have Pearl Harbor. And that's going to awaken the sleeping giant uh, of America. And now you have an allied force, which most of us, when we look at World War II, we think of the allies. But Winston Churchill was standing all alone. And he was making the decisions. And it was hard fought. But something is going to happen in the flow of war, and that is that the input, the strength of America and the strength of Soviet Russia is so much bigger than the strength of this little island nation. So as time progresses, so the Soviet Russians and the Americans are actually going to have more invested in the war, even though they've been in it for a shorter time. They have more men in it, they have more money going into it than Great Britain can muster. And so as a result, the shift of power and decision-making is going to move away from Churchill to Roosevelt and Stalin. And I don't know that I can stick you easily in the situation of what that would feel like to be belittled in front of the world and to suddenly have your opinion overlooked even though you were the one that stood up originally and then suddenly your opinion is like cast off by other rulers, other, I mean, this is an incredible thing. It's happening publicly. And so when you study World War II, especially when you get into the shoes of Winston, have I mentioned that my middle name is Winston? And so when you get into the shoes of Winston, you wince and you feel it. However, you'll notice that the name of this message is the submission of Winston. 
And so one of my favorite things about this is even though it's hard to watch, is I'm going to witness a man, first of all, rise 10 feet taller and lead when he was called to lead. And then when it's time to submit and to help win this war for the allies and he recognizes his voice is being diminished, that he serves and submits. I mean, it's, it's a pretty profound picture that this round tubby guy that smokes cigars and drinks brandy is able to pull off. I mean, it's weird because you wouldn't think that Eric Ludi would be so mystified with this guy from Great Britain, but I am, I'm impressed is what I can say. In, in the historical perspective, I look on that man and I go, you know what? I'm not exactly sure what the depth of relationship he had with Christ. I know he believed that in God, and I know he believed that the word of God was in fact God's word. Those are a couple of things I've established in Winston Churchill. But it's more of a formal Christianity than it is an intimate one. But he had something uh, in the middle of his being that is highly irregular and very impressive. The submission of Winston. So this is from Winston Churchill's memoirs. Liberating Normandy was a supreme event in the European campaign of 1944. But it was only one of several, several concentric strokes upon Nazi Germany. In the east, the Russians were flooding into Poland and the Balkans. And in the south, Alexander's armies in Italy were pressing towards the River Po. Decisions had now to be taken about our next move in the Mediterranean. And it must be recorded with regret that these occasioned the first important divergence on high strategy between ourselves and our American friends. So Great Britain and America, they've had their skirmishes, they've had their disagreements, but this is a very sharp disagreement that is about to unfurl. And America, right at this exact time, almost on the exact same dates, is swelling in Normandy. Their victory at the beaches of Normandy, led by Eisenhower, is going to swell even to a greater level the importance and significance of the American contribution. And right around, I forgot the exact date, but it's around July 8th. Remember, uh, Normandy's on June 6th. The numbers of involvement of, of American uh, troops compared to British, it surpasses. So now there is more American input into the war than British. And so this is happening at this exact time. And the Americans, and I, I'm American, okay? My middle name is... Uh, is Winston, and my name is German. So I'm a weird uh, mixture of every you know, faction in this, every belligerent power in this is somehow mixed up in the guy that's talking to you. And of course, I favor America, naturally. I'm not, I don't favor Great Britain in the Revolutionary War. I just want you guys to know that. In other words, I don't just side with Great Britain blindly. In this, I happen to have a fondness for Great Britain's role in World War II because they were willing to stand when no one else did. So as a result, they get my favor uh, in this. And but I, I naturally side with America. And I, I grew up in America, so therefore my entire take on the war was from the American perspective in growing up and in school, and that's, that's how I was taught. And so it's interesting to look at it through the lens of Great Britain right about now because America seems to swell in its own self-importance. <laughs> and I get a little chagrined and embarrassed as I look at it because the way that they treat Churchill in this situation sort of hurts me, you know, with my middle name being Winston and all. And yet I'm American, so I would naturally dispose myself to say, yeah, uh, Churchill, get used to it. You know, we're the big boys on the block now. And so there's a, there's a unique tension that I feel as I go through this. But this is, as he would say, with regret, these occasioned the first important divergence on high strategy between ourselves and our American friends. 
So I'm going to go through that just a little. I'm going to over, oversimplify it probably for some of you that would like to know a little more detail. But it gets too much in the complexity of uh, the military maneuvers and how the logistics and the troop movements are, are being used. But the Americans want to spend all of their time and their energy in the French, Normandy, Belgium region to, uh, to win that war. And they want to have a, a second attack, a second front on France uh, to hit it in the south. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a fine plan. There's nothing wrong with it. However, to do that, it's going to leave Italy, which is where a lot of the British troops are, and they're fighting to come up through Italy. It's going to sort of leave them holding the bag and very vulnerable. And, and so it's sort of like, hey, we're going to think about Eisenhower and Eisenhower's operation here. This is where all you know, guns are blazing right now. Your little work in, in the Mediterranean isn't that important, uh, Churchill. And yet this is where all his men are. And so you see this unique tension uh, cr being created. These are two friends, and throughout this war, and I've gone through this multiple times, it's actually rather extraordinary how close these two have become. And right about this time, you're going to see Roosevelt side with his chiefs of staff and sort of allow a diminishment of Churchill. I could just sort of hear the whisperings. It's like, this man is unstable, sir. I know that he's your friend, but... He is not as sharp and as wise in military matters as we are. We see things that he obviously isn't able to see. What's interesting is all of Churchill's uh, chiefs of staff, all of his military uh, experts are all in agreement with him. But they're looking at it from two different perspectives, a British perspective and an American perspective. And that's why it's interesting just to go through this is because yeah, I see how we can so easily lock into perspectives denominationally, uh, politically, we have our perspective that we can settle in and have a difficult time seeing from someone else's vantage point. So for those of you that don't know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is the president of the United States. So when you hear the word president being mentioned, that's what it's always talking about. And Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Great Britain. So Churchill, uh, this is continuing in his memoirs, General Eisenhower naturally wanted to strengthen his attack on Northwest Europe by all available means. And the American chiefs of staff agreed with Eisenhower, holding rigidly to the maxim of concentration at the decisive point, which in their eyes meant only Northwest Europe. Therefore, or they were supported by the president. This is, this is, by the way, a massive consolidation of a lot, because uh, Churchill goes into this in a great detail because he's trying to explain himself in history. He's trying to explain himself why he took a position to support the Mediterranean and how basically he was left out to dry. He doesn't say that, but boy, it's sort of hard not to pick up on it. They were supported by the president. He therefore urged that Anvil should be undertaken at the expense of, at the expense, of course, of our armies in Italy. So Anvil, which is in quotes on the screen, uh, is Operation Anvil. Sort of like Normandy, the, the attack on the beaches of Normandy on June 6, 1944 is actually Operation Overlord. So if you ever heard that term, that's actually the official military description for it. To the south, uh, in, in France, this second hit on the beaches of France, if you want to say it that way, is called Operation Anvil, which they're then going to change the name to Dragoon. So if you ever see it as Operation Anvil or Operation Dragoon, Dragoon Winston Churchill ref referred to it as Operation Anvil-Dragoon. I know, I don't know if that helps you at all, but just in case uh, you happen to try and study it, that may help you. <clears throat> 
So here's a summation that I gave. The British chiefs of staff took the opposite view. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I feel this message. I don't know why uh, I feel like I'm Winston Churchill in this, but I felt this, and I, I think some of you in here have felt these different types of tensions before in your soul where you're in a situation where you need to make a decision in your soul. Are you going to retaliate? Are you going to have a grievance? Are you going to submit? Oh, these are challenging situations for the soul, but they're what prove us as Christians, truly. So two friends, and I have sort of a dividing line. This is going to be a schism between them. Now, Roosevelt isn't going to last much longer. He's going to die actually fairly soon. And so you're going to notice that Churchill is always going to honor his memory in how he refers to him, even though he gives specific telegrams back and forth. Like you can read the telegrams back between these men and you can see a, uh, you can see a friction uh, in their communication. So uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, says, take from Italy to spend on France, which is going to weaken Montgomery's troops in the Mediterranean if they were to do this. And Churchill says, stay strong in Italy. And Churchill is going to have an elaborate defense for this even afterwards and saying, look, because you know, this happened, this actually weakened us here, this is the result of it, this could have been a lot better if they'd listened to me. You know, one of those types of things, classic uh, memoir type of a thing after a war. All right, so we have two sides that are forming in the Allied front. And you're going to notice that Winston Churchill's picture on the screen got sort of small. That's because that's what's happening. I'm actually showing you what's happening in the political persuasion side of the military on the Allied side is you're going to see Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin sort of grow larger in their own self-importance because of what they are putting into the war. And it's hard to argue. When you have now more troops, you're spending more money, and you have more capacity moving forward, and you have more of, you have more wealth to draw from to spend on the war moving forward, you can see Churchill beginning to defer. He's like, okay, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> yes, instead of them honoring him because of his position from the beginning, they're going to, in a sense, honor themselves above Churchill because of what they're bringing to the war now. And so they're both going to basically weigh in on the side of take from the attack on Italy in the Mediterranean, yes, and put the British troops at risk, and spend it in France to support the second front. The reason Stalin wants that is that's the most likely to take forces away from his uh, troops in the east, which ironically didn't take any forces away from his troops in the east, and it didn't help Eisenhower either. So it actually turns out to be a bad decision, and it ends up compromising Churchill uh, and his men. So Churchill basically in his little minority position says, Stay strong in Italy. <laughs> and so I don't know if you know which way this is going to go, because I think I've given enough spoilers away to let you know that uh, Churchill's going to defer. So I don't know if this is the best picture. You, 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 since you can't see the boot of Italy down there where all the, the flags are, you, when you don't see the full boot, you don't recognize Italy always. Uh, isn't it funny how the, the boot sort of helps define the Mediterranean? So... Down there, you see all the troops that are fighting in the Mediterranean. They're fighting in Italy. And then you see the Normandy invasion uh, up uh, here. Okay, there's, 
there's Normandy right there, all right? So you're going to see all of this sweeping in, and they're coming up into, uh, into Belgium and Holland and coming across into Germany. That's the goal. So what they are proposing is to hit here with a second hit and to come up and support, uh, and hopefully that'll draw divisions down to fight here, which will free up more for the Russians and for the Americans up top here. So this is what is in sort of in contest right now. So what you're going to see is this is what is going to happen. They're going to pull all the strength away from Italy, and they're going to leave, even though I can't say that there are no Americans still over there, but it's a very, very small amount. And you're going to see the weight of the battle switch into France and leave uh, the British over there uh, struggling. So this is Churchill in a telegram to Roosevelt on June 28th, 1944. Now, in the flow of battle, we're like in August, okay? We're taking Paris in later August. So this is before that to sort of set up sort of what's taking place behind the scenes in other theaters of war. So this is uh, written to Roosevelt. Isn't this amazing that we can actually read a telegram from a prime minister to a president all these years later? The deadlock between our chiefs of staff raises most serious issues. Our first wish is to help General Eisenhower in the most speedy and effective manner, but we do not think this necessarily involves the complete ruin of all our great affairs in the Mediterranean, and we take it, and we take it hard that this should be demanded of us. I most earnestly beg you to examine this matter in detail for yourself. Mr. Roosevelt's reply was prompt and adverse. That, that's not good, by the way. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, one of his argument points is even Stalin prefers Anvil. Hey, Churchill, even Stalin, who's the other ally, prefers that we do this. That's hard when Joseph Stalin is leveraged against you by the President of the United States. It's like you could just sort of see Churchill going, you're going to side with Stalin over your friend? I mean, you just feel this. I feel it. And I wasn't even there. Maybe it's because my middle name is Winston. <laughs> Winston Churchill continues, on the 7th of July, I visited Eisenhower at his headquarters near Portsmouth and unfolded to him my last hope of stopping an assault on the south of France. I showed Eisenhower a telegram I had sent to the president whose reply I had not yet received, and I did my best to convince him. Though, of course, whatever was settled would receive every loyalty in execution. I want to emphasize that last line. That's why I put it in there. Though, of course, whatever Eisenhower is going to decide, whatever Roosevelt is going to decide, it was, whatever was settled would receive Churchill's every loyalty in execution. It's like he is going to appeal, but he is going to also defer and recognize the authority and how it is structured and that the way that you win a war is to understand your ranks and to understand position and authority. And if you don't defer in certain situations, you actually break apart the military unit that you have, known as the Allies. And so as a result, he is going to give all of his loyalty, but you see him wrestling to make an appeal because he knows that there are consequences to making a bad decision. Winston Churchill continues, on the afternoon of August 14th, I flew in General Wilson's Dakota Co-Corsica in order to see the Riviera landing, which I had tried so hard to stop. So they're going to, the French Riviera is where they're going to hit. And so this is what he's referring to. This is Operation Anvil 
dash dragoon. And so he's actually going to go and see it because they've decided that they're moving forward. With, even with Churchill's very, very strong appeals, nope, we're moving forward. That's a big voice to ignore. Winston Churchill, the entire British government is against this move and they are going to ignore it because Stalin is with them. Okay, Can you, I don't know if you guys feel that, but that, that, that's a little painful. And so he is going to go and witness it. Uh, so he's going to witness the River Area Landing, which I had tried so hard to stop, but to which I wished all success. But once the final decision was reached, I, of course, gave it my full support, though I had done my best to constrain or deflect it. I like that. He gave it his full support. Hupotasso. So now we're going to go to the, uh, the biblical understanding of what we're witnessing here. We're witnessing something that is a very hard attribute to cultivate. And there's a lot of resistance against hupotasso in the body of Christ, mainly because of our cultural setup. Our cultural setup is not set up with a high understanding of authority structure. And as a result, because I don't know if it happened because of the 70s, <laughs> where we basically said stick it to the man is, is the term, where anyone who in is in authority, you question them. And you have to, you know, it's, it's almost more of a, a greater virtue to disobey authority and to show rebellion than it is to submit and to be blind in your obedience. And so what we have is a shift in our culture in North America that is going to create a cloud bank around this idea of hupotasso. But in the Bible, you're going to see this. If you just studied this one word, you're going to recognize it is everywhere in the New Testament. This is a very significant part of how the kingdom military system works. And it's interesting because when we just think about the kingdom of heaven just in its normal sense and our position as believers, I think most of us would say, yes, we are under Jesus Christ. All right? I don't think there's much of a, an argument there. And we're under his word. All right? Uh, okay. I, I can go with that. But there's all sorts of other things that we are to put ourselves under. What? I don't think we should put ourselves under anything. And yet God himself assigns it. And so if I had more time, we could go through each one. I mean, we're going to talk about servants and slaves. We're going to talk about young people. We're going to talk about wives. We're going to talk about individuals. Every single one of us in the church is to put ourselves under each other, which is an interesting statement. But in every situation that you walk into, you show a certain deference, which is you immediately, when you walk into a room, recognize who you are under. When you come to a table to sit down at a banquet, you take a lower place. You put yourself under. This is an attribute of the kingdom of heaven. You do not take a high place. You take a low place. If you get called up to a higher place, that's someone else's business, not yours. And so as a result, as far as a basic attitude of approach in life, we don't seek to drive our agenda home. We can appeal, as you're going to see Winston Churchill do, but then he's going to give his full support in this. This is a really challenging situation because he is an equal with these other powers and he could actually make a stink. He could. He could make a lot bigger noise. However, he's well-groomed British. <laughs> right now, we could use a little more British <laughs> in us as Americans, like 1944 British. They still had something. They were, you know, their culture was starting to fall to pieces even back then and yet they still have that ancient idea 
that we could call hupotasso in their understanding. That military, and this is like part and parcel of military lore. This is what makes military units excellent, is hupotasso. Most of us don't think of it as a military thing, but it's how we function as a military unit in the church of Jesus Christ. So, to arrange or set under. To submit to one's direction. You're going to notice in Scripture it's oftentimes going to be obey or submit is the translation for it. But it's actually to put oneself deliberately under someone else's direction. Okay, now I am a strong leader, but there are situations where I will walk into where I know I'm not the leader. And so I will come in and the first thing I'm going to do is come to that leader and I'm, well, first thing, I mean, this is, it's a purposeful thing, whether or not it's the first thing. I may shake hands and give some hugs. But one of the first agendas I'm going to have is to make it very clear that I'm here to serve their direction and I'm not, I don't have an agenda of my own. And because when you're a strong leader and there's another strong leader, they can feel threatened by a strong leader in their midst, which is why I will go out of my way to submit and to come under their direction, any way that I can serve you. And I don't care if that means washing toilets. And I mean that. In other words, when I come into a situation, I want to find my position in rank so that I can support the military movement that is taking place. And so if I come into a church to speak, I recognize I am not the one in charge. I may be the one asked to speak, but I'm actually not the one in charge. So I will come, and they may say, oh, speak on whatever you want. It's happened before. I also have people that will say, could you speak on this? Absolutely. Any way that I can serve you. Now, if they were asking me to do something that was against my conscience, against the word of God, I would, I would humbly appeal back and say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. However, if it's in the general, could you speak on joy? Absolutely. I would love that. I'd love to do that for you. And sometimes they'll say, hey, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question like, well, how, uh, is there anything you want me to be sensitive to? That's a classic question I've asked for years. It's like, oh, just do whatever you feel comfortable with. I go, well, I trust that you are in a position here in this church and you know this body far better than I do. In fact, you're anointed to lead this body. Please know that I am ready to do whatever would help you accomplish your ends here in this church. My job is to serve you when I'm here. And so it's an attitude of hupotasso. And these things have challenge in different situations there's a wincing. You can know it, but there can be a wincing because your natural man does not like to submit to someone else's direction. I don't know if you guys understand what I mean by that. We have a tendency to push back. And so there's something very, very precious about this action of the soul that blessing can course through. And when we respect and honor, in fact, one of the mentalities I had in my relationship with Leslie and it was a very, very clear one. Like I, I could see certain things clearly. There's a whole bunch of things I didn't understand yet spiritually at that time in my life when I was pursuing Leslie. But there's one thing I did know, and that is as I honored her father and his position in her life, God's grace would flow to me. And that there would be a favor upon this relationship as long as I fell into ranks and understood his role and his covering over her life. If I ignored that and I tried to bypass that, I would be immediately eliminating a certain course and flow of blessing into my life. So, hupotasso. Ephesians 5, 20 and 21, we're going to see this word used. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting, and I'm going to use this word hupotasso, and then I'm going to put an ing 
an ing at the end of it, even though that's not how it would work in the Greek. Hupatasoing yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Isn't that interesting that as we gather, we do not loft ourselves above one another, but we actually submit ourselves one unto the other. That we actually come under each other's unique position in the body of Christ. That we recognize that it's a show of deference. To say it's not about me, it's technically not about you, but the way that I show that it's about Jesus is I don't make it all about me and I make it about you and, and your needs and what you are needing to do, what your unique role is in this. We submit to one another. What, a, what an amazing uh, picture that is. And of course, this is the next verse, uh, Ephesians 5.22, which gets a few people riled up. Wives, submit yourselves, hupatasso, unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You see, there is an order to the way things work in the kingdom of heaven, and it's a military order. It's like a fallen into ranks. And when a wife supersedes that, and when she jumps ahead and she says, look, I don't really care what it says in the Bible. The Bible is, you know, derogatory towards women. It's actually a violation of a certain order that God brings to bring forth his light and his glory. Leaders can massively misuse these things. In other words, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. And that just in and of itself almost shows the distortion right there. When you are forcing people to submit uh, and commanding them to submit, uh, usually you're already upside down in your leadership. And so a healthy home doesn't have to command kids uh, to submit into obedience. It almost like woos them and warms them to desire to feel even more secure in that position of obedience. First Chronicles 12, 33 through 38. So David, King David is being established in his position as king over all of Israel. Huge moment in history. And of course, what we see in this land of promise in our own lives, there's an establishment of Jesus Christ as king over all of our life. Okay, not just a piece of our life, not just Judah, the whole thing. Okay, the whole land of promise is coming under his control and so what we have is, the, the Bible in Chronicles is going to go through all of these different tribes that are going to come unto David, these military men that are being set aside. It's going to speak of Zebulun, and look at what it says. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000 which could keep rank. They were not of double heart. That's an interesting description. These men were expert in war, with all the instruments of war, they could keep rank. In other words, there's something that's always been understood in military form of rank. In other words, they knew it, they knew their position, and they could keep it, which made them expert in war. And they were not of double heart, which means they were not wavering in a time of testing, they were stout of heart. They were of a single heart. And so this picture, of course, of Zebulun is, is an amazing statement, but then you're going to see it as it sort of crescendos in verse 38. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. So you see this singularity of heart, they're of one heart, they're of rank and order. This is what makes them excellent. And David is going to be a strong king because of this fact. 
that those that are surrounding him understand and know how to keep rank. So I'm going to add a definition to this hupotasso. So we had to arrange or set under, to submit to one's direction. Look at this one. To keep rank and therefore to be excellent in war. And so it's interesting because when you bring a military idea into the idea of submission, it sort of changes it for us in our mind because I don't know how we look at it, but it, it sort of has a blasé uh, coding to it because of how much wrestling has been done over this issue, mainly because of abuse. Uh, probably, I used to have joked with many men over the years that I think the most quoted verse in the Bible for most burping-scratching men is, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's a really sad commentary when that's one of the three scriptures that men know. It's not even spoken to them, right? And that's the one they know. In other words, it shows a distortion in their entire appropriation of scripture by the fact that they're going to pick up on that one and not that they need to love their wives as Christ loves the church. It's like there's something off right there. However, it doesn't mean it's not true. And that's the key for us is to recognize that there's a proper order and rank that when we understand it and esteem it, there's a blessing and a flow of grace into and through the body of Christ. Luke 2.51. Now, so all of you that are just concerned about submitting and saying, you know, I'm not going to submit, I'm going to give you a scripture here which will just sort of cut through all the fog. Speaking of Jesus. And he, of course you could say, but he was just a little kid. It's Jesus, God, in the flesh. He is modeling something. And he, Jesus, went down with them, speaking of Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was subject, or hupotasso, unto them. He put himself under earthly parents. What? This is God Almighty, King of the universe? Uh-huh, that's right. So I think that answers all of the niggling questions right there. Because even this one who is so perfect is going to come under imperfect leadership. And he is going to submit. He is going to pull the hupotasso. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Submit yourselves, hupotasso, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king is supreme or to governor's as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is a very unique scripture for such a time as this. Because you have a rift in the body of Christ, and you have some people that feel like whatever the government says, we need to just do. And guess what? They have a point, guys. They do. And I could whip up a lot more than this to support that point. At the same time, you have this other side that's saying, but if the government ever asks us to violate our conscience and the position that we have as Christians under King Jesus to actually assemble and gather together and to preach the name of Jesus to this world, we cannot submit to that. And yet what we find ourselves in is this middle ground oftentimes where the request of the government is not actually asking us to violate our conscience. It's just ridiculous. 
And, you know, it's not that Jesus isn't saying, obey them. He is. And so we need to freshly recognize that there's a need, even when Roosevelt and Stalin gang up against us, there's a need to always aim for peace in each situation, but it's peace without compromise. And so for us as Christians, there's this balance that we're constantly dealing with. I am one who is a firm believer in civilly disobeying governing authorities if and when they request my soul to go in a different direction than the way I know Scripture is leading me as a leader to lead. And I serve King Jesus, first and foremost. However, I always want to obey to the degree that I can show honor and respect to governing authorities in the earthen realm. And I think COVID-19 is a classic illustration of a challenge that many of us face with this. It's like, wow, this is like so nonsensical in so many situations. There's no threat where we're at in northern Colorado. Are we actually going to placate that? Are we going to accept this? And so there's a tension, and I want us to today emphasize the hupatasso. Not de-emphasize it. I want to allow the Spirit of God to emphasize it in our soul because we have a tendency to forget certain key truths in a time where we're emphasizing others. Right now, we in this room probably are more likely to emphasize civil disobedience than we are hupotasso. And that's why I think it's important to always remember both and. And at every situation, at every juncture, to freshly remember scripture and to freshly question our soul and allow the spirit of God to examine to see what our condition is. First Peter 5, 5 through 6, likewise you younger people, I don't know if any of you fit into that uh, category, submit yourselves, hupotasso, to your elders. Same word. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, hupotasso, and be clothed with humility. Listen to this line. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's one of the uses in in Scripture. I think in the two New Testament uses, this is one of them here. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There is something about humbling ourselves and putting ourselves under that actually releases the grace of God. It's like that pipeline I talked about that we're connected to when we're in Christ, and it's like turning the gate valve. When you humble yourself and you submit, and you put yourself under, it opens up a gate valve. And so you could say, but what about leadership that is unhealthy and harsh? I, I wonder if I put this in here. No, I did. I, I knew. Accidentally, I, I deleted this screen. I had three other verses on it. It actually says, slaves to submit, same word, hupatasso, to your masters, and not just the good and gentle ones, but even the ones that are harsh. That's a, a very fascinating study if you were to think about that. In other words, hupotasso isn't dependent upon the perfection of the one you're submitting to. You submit because of their position, not because of their perfection. And so parents that are not necessarily the easiest parents, they're still your parents. Governing leaders that are not necessarily the best governing leaders, they're still your governing leaders. I've oftentimes said that if, you know, when Barack Obama was president, and by the way, Barack Obama and Eric Ludy are very different than each other, okay? I'll just get that out on the table. 
However, he, he was my president. And I, I used to tell the students, if he came in these doors right now, I would command respect of all of us to him. We would show deference. We would treat him as the president of the United States. It would be a big deal. And we would treat him with honor. It doesn't mean we agree with him, but we would treat him with honor. We would treat him with deference. And we would submit to him as long as he doesn't ask us to submit to him to the exclusion of submitting to the word of God and to Jesus Christ. But to the degree that he doesn't violate that covenant relationship we have with Christ, we will submit. Even if he commands us to go over and wash a toilet, absolutely. We'll do that for President Obama. And so how these things work in these dynamics, it's part of the dexterity of the military movement of the church of Jesus Christ. We want this world to be changed. We need to understand hupotasso. We need to fall into ranks. We need to know our role, where we're at, where we're in that position. I need to, at times, at every situation, every single one of us here is in a hupotasso relationship. Every time, every moment. Even if I'm the leader of Ellerslie, I am still submitted to one higher than me. I am submitted to the word of God. I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit. I'm submitted to King Jesus. And so therefore, at any given time, I always have to be in that humble position, that humble disposition to say, it's actually not me that should lead this. It is the one who is over me that gives me my commands. And so in every situation, we find ourselves in a hupotasso relationship. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, hupotasso, therefore to God. Military move. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, in this role, in this position under, you have a military strength. Authority flows through this hupotasso relationship, through this position under the ranks. If, if the ranks aren't there and everyone's like, hey, I'm in charge here, I'm not, the military unit just dissolves immediately right there. But when everyone is in their place, they are experts in war, then when the commander says to make a military maneuver, it works. And the same is true here. Hupotasso, fall into ranks before God. Fall into ranks, all of us. We come in before the word of God in text, before the word of God in person, the Holy Spirit administering it to us, yes. But also in every environment that we're in, we fall into ranks. We're submitting to God in that, to our parents, to our leaders, to our business leaders, to our governors. There is a certain rank that we need to fall into in every situation. So when we are submitting ourselves, therefore, to God, it's not just to God in the big sense. It's all the smaller expressions of that that we fall into line. And then we resist. We fall into ranks. We resist the evil one. He will flee. We will win this military battle. God's way. Humble. Not proud. Pride, in this situation with Churchill, I mean, he had, oh boy, you could just imagine how difficult this was on the private side of his life. And because he's being, in a sense, all Great Britain is being diminished. They're all feeling this, but he's the face of it. And, you know, for the, the British, it's like, Churchill, come on, stand up, oh you mighty lion, because he's known as the old lion. It's like, hey, come on. But he recognizes that if he pushes in the wrong way, he could actually destroy the allied uh, cause. And so he is going to instead humble himself, even globally humble himself in front of all the peoples of the earth, just sort of like, all right, I'll support this. Even though all of his chiefs of staff are like, 
This is a disaster, Churchill. We're going to do this because we're going to win this war. Even if it's harder to do it, we're going to do it. We're going to submit. We're going to keep this allied force together. The only way we can win this is with the allied force intact. I mean, it's a, uh, an amazing thing to walk through for a leader. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Uh, that's a good verse for Churchill in this situation. I'm a little disgruntled with Roosevelt and Stalin in this story, right? And so I need to uh, freshly forgive them, since my middle name is Winston, and, and look past and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to support Operation Anvil, Dragoon. I'm, I'm willing to do this, and I'm willing to stand together as a military body, and let's win this thing. And so in so many situations, I've been in, in situations where I've submitted to leadership, and the leadership didn't do that well. Okay, I, I can think of different moments in my life, but I'm hesitant to bring, <laughs> to bring any of them up. Uh, my, if, if, my, uh, if this was only going to be in this room and it wasn't a podcast, maybe, it would be a li- maybe I could share a little more. But I've been in situations where I submitted to leadership, and the leadership just sort of bobbled the ball and fumbled it. And my instinct is to pick up the ball and run to the end zone with it. It's like, you've got to be kidding. How do I? And it's hard. Those are hard moments to know how to walk. But all of us deal with those. Okay? As a leader here, there might be moments where I might bobble it. And, and you're like, oh, he could do that a lot better. But to still show respect and regard and honor is part of how we function as the body. It's always easier when our leaders are excellent and perfect in what they do. It, it just is. But God has asked us to show Hupatasso in a very imperfect system. That cannot be forsaken by us as believers. Let's freshly fall into ranks. I don't mean that we actually get up from our seat and fall into ranks. But let's freshly fall into ranks inside of our own soul. I want you to think about how you relate to the Word of God. Are you falling into ranks? Are you in a hupatasso position where you stick it over yourself? How about with the Holy Spirit? Submitting, saying whatever you say goes. Sir, yes, sir. How about your parents? How about your earthly authorities, the different positions that you've been put in? Maybe it's a, a, uh, an owner of a business that you work for. Maybe, it's, maybe you are in the military. What, whatever it is, I can't name it for you. But let's freshly fall into ranks in our soul. You know, if you are staying in someone's house and you're renting a room in their house, fall into ranks. Show respect for the fact that that's not your house, that's their house, and treat it with that regard. I always say, like when you go to the grocery store and you take someone else's, you take a business's shopping cart, you borrow it from them, and they're like, yes, you can borrow my shopping cart. You take it out and then just like set it out there and it runs into someone's car. You're not showing a respect and an honor for someone else's business. And so, in a sense, fall into ranks and show regard and respect for those around you. First Chronicles 12, 33 and 38, this is the scripture we read earlier. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. They were not of double heart. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of, no, were of one heart to make David king. That's what we want. We want to be of one heart to make David king or Jesus king. But to do that, we need to fall into ranks. 
This is how we function as the church of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. Let's make David king over all Israel. Okay, make Jesus king over all Israel. It's the same thing. We need to be expert in war. With all the instruments of war, we need to keep rank, and we need to not be of a double heart, but of a singular heart or a brave heart. This is what we are commissioned to. And yet, this submission, this humility is part of our role in this. Let's cherish it. Father, train our hands for war by teaching our hearts to submit. And Lord, may we choose humility today and to fall into rank, to honor you. Lord, may we remember that it's not the perfection of those that we are submitting to that is the reason that we submit, but it is the position that they have in our life. And may we honor it to the degree that we can, Lord Jesus, where they do not command of us or demand of us anything that would sacrifice our walk with you or our faith in you. Lord Jesus, train us in this day and hour how to live to honor you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.